I tend to kind of come in with the big picture, the big vision, making sure everybody's excited and on board and sort of rooted in the in the meaning. In India, I can tell you it's one in four girls or women lack complete access to uh, menstrual care. You know, we've also worked within communities where historically women and girls were using things like ash from their fire pits, uh, pieces of old newspaper, pieces of old mattress, cow dung, um, things like that. Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. Now, more than ever, stakeholders are demanding the integration of social values and causes in everything from shoes to soap to investments. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. And this is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Molly Hayward. Molly is the founder and chief brand officer of Quora, a company that sells organic feminine hygiene products, including tampons, pads, and more. Quora also provides menstrual products to women in underserved communities in the U.S. and abroad. Molly is the founder and editor-in-chief of Blood and Milk, a community covering a wide range of women's health issues. Welcome, Molly. We're glad to have you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. So let's dive in. You studied international development and public health in college, and um, we always like to hear from the leaders that we interview about their their story and what brought them to found their company. So tell us, what was your journey to founding Cora? Yeah, well, um, it feels like it's been a really long journey, and I'll try to give you as concise a version as I can, but it's interesting that you bring up uh, my college experience because um, I even trace my interest in uh, social impact and uh, and sort of doing good in the world back to when I was a kid. So, you know, there's that saying, look at what you were doing when you were 10 years old and you'll know what you should be doing for the rest of your life. And at 10 years old, I was getting my classmates to sign petitions um, around uh, environmental issues. I was collecting uh, milk money for UNICEF. And it gave me a great sense of joy and purpose to just be uh, be working to help other people. And so fast forward, um, I studied, uh, as you said, international economic development, women's rights, human rights in college. And that gave me an amazing sort of worldview and experience um, in that realm, again, of just thinking of, of the ways that we could um, engender greater wor- world equality, I would say. You know, fast forward from there, going into my career, um, I really uh, have spent my entire career in early stage companies. And what I was so inspired by, um, really, in my first job out of college was being part of an early stage high-growth startup that had a social impact model built into its, its, its business. Um, and so as it scaled, its impact was going to scale. And I just thought this was brilliant. Having seen kind of the way that NGOs and nonprofits worked and functioned and all the, the good that they could do, and yet all of the sort of um, inherent issues they faced or challenges they faced at scale, I thought, wow, if businesses engaged in um, helping to solve our, our greatest world problems, there would probably be a lot 
cure of those problems. Um, and so, you know, really that led me years later to um, starting Cora. And, you know, Cora really started in Kenya. I was there traveling with a nonprofit organization just as a volunteer, unwork related. And I uh, met a girl in one of the communities that this nonprofit was working in. And I had gotten to know her. She was part of a, a program focused on getting more girls into uh, into school. And she was one of the first girls in her family to go to school. And I was sitting with her one day and she told me that during her period, she would stay home from school and that that was what she and all of the other girls would in the community would do. And so immediately the entrepreneurial light bulb went on and I thought, I'm going to create a business that helps to solve this problem, to bring awareness to the issue, but also that uses its dollars to invest into um, providing the solution around this this time of the month for these girls so that it's not an inhibitor to them getting a full education and pursuing, you know, their dreams and their futures. So I was seeing that you do this work in India and Kenya now. Is that right? Yes, that's right. We have partners in both places. And so how big is the scale of this problem worldwide? Like, can you put a number on it? It's pretty massive. So um, the estimates are that 100 million girls across the world lack basic access to um, adequate menstrual health and hygiene. Um, so yeah, that's a that's a that's a big number in my mind. And and how many of those are in India and Kenya? So like how how far have you gotten into this so far? Yeah. So uh, in in India, I can tell you it's one in four girls or women lack complete access to uh, menstrual care. And so, uh, and in Kenya, it's, it's roughly the same. And so, um, you know, Cora has uh, existed for about the last four years. Um, and we've been working with both of our partners for just about that same time. And at this stage, we've reached almost 100,000 girls with uh, the programs that we help to fund. And we've given close to 10 million paths. So, you know, we, in many ways, we feel like we're just getting started. But, you know, it's a, it's a start. How does that part of the business work? Is it, a, is it a buy one, give one model? Or is it something different? Yeah, so it's, we have kind of two uh, ways in which the model works based on our channels. So Cora has a D2C channel um, where you can get a period care or body care or maternal health care subscription. Um, but we also sell in traditional retail. So Target, Safeway, um, other brick and mortar retailers, um, as well as on Amazon. And so if you buy through Chorus uh, website through a subscription, it's a one for one model. So for every month's supply of products you purchase, we're providing a month's supply of pads plus health education to a girl in India. And on the retail um, and e-commerce Amazon side, um, it's 10% of our net profits goes to uh, purchasing pads and funding the health education initiative. So a little bit different based on um, channel, but um, really kind of the same the same output essentially. I would love to get your perspective because this also seems to be a a problem or challenge in the U.S. as well. Nearly twenty five yeah. million women live below the poverty line, and menstrual products are not covered by food stamps. And I think. 38 states tax tampons and other feminine hygiene products as non-essentials. Uh, have you looked at that issue? 
Absolutely. And, you know, it's really interesting. Um, you know, that is one that we have heard more and more from our community saying, hey, I think it's amazing what you're doing in India and Kenya, but there are girls and women here in my community that also can't afford or can't access, you know, healthy quality uh, menstrual products or can't afford them at all. And so, you know, over the last four years, we have um, basically done, done large domestic giving uh, kind of ad hoc. It's been centered primarily around disaster relief. So uh, Hurricane Harvey, the wildfires in California last year, um, et cetera. And, and, uh, and yet, you know, we have realized that this is more of um, an intrinsic problem. And so this year, actually, one of my primary initiatives is um, launching our domestic giving initiative officially. Um, because to your point, you know, it's a massive problem here as well. And, um, you know, while we started out or our roots are, um, are in Kenya and in India and other places around the world where, where that need, need is quite dire. Um, you know, we've really gotten to a place, thankfully, where we have the scale and the ability to, um, to, to give meaningfully here as well. And, you know, we're pretty excited to do that. Before we talk about healthy menstrual products, I want to dig into that. I wanted to just take a step back and ask you why one in every four girls in India and East Africa and in, in, in India and Kenya, as well as, you know, potentially similar figures in the U.S. are lacking access. What is the root of that problem? So there are a number of, um, of issues that come into play. In developing countries, it's, it has uh, quite a bit to do with the nature of the products that have historically been available. So when you think about the feminine care industry, you know, up until very recently, it was dominated by a few multinational corporations. And so the products that were coming into those countries were imported goods. So um, like quite heavily taxed, quite expensive. And so when you think about the sort of base of the pyramid population in those places, um, products like that are, are just largely unattainable from an economic perspective. Um, here, here in the U.S., you know, I would say it's similar. One example I can give um, is with Native American communities where, um, or even even simply rural communities where they may only have access to a single uh, gas station or grocery store to buy their menstrual products, and those products are. Um, being sold at, a, at such an inflated price because the demand is so low. And so um, you have this sort of inequality being perpetuated by sort of circumstance um, geographically here in the U.S. Um, and again, as you mentioned, these products are also not covered by food stamps. So as a family, when you're deciding whether to pay your electric bill or purchase groceries or whether to buy pads and tampons, you know, the, the decision is often pretty obvious. And so women and girls are left really to um, fend for themselves and come up with alternative solutions to, you know, to what we would consider kind of an acceptable or even just basic level of, um, of care. Yeah, thank you. I'm, I'm an investor in a company called Kasha, which is a women's health distribution business in Kenya and Rwanda. And one of the things that, that struck me in going into rural areas in Rwanda was that 
women who were giving birth had to share a pack of menstrual uh, menstrual pads, but pads um, for their postpartum care. Um, And they couldn't afford that pack on their own, which, you know, is something that we take for granted when walking into CVS sometimes. So let's let's pivot the conversation a little bit. All your products are organic, non-toxic, and non-GMO, um, and the plastic applicators are made of recycled materials. What does it mean for a tampon to be organic? Traditionally, tampons have been made with a mix of uh, conventional cotton and synthetics like rayon and polyester. I, I could go into the sort of history of the tampon, history of the culture, um, But in short, because of the stigma and taboo that has existed around this experience for women, you know, most of us, maybe prior to five or six years ago, were not discussing our menstrual care choices with our friends. There was not media coverage of, you know, menstrual care products or um, sort of things happening in the culture around menstruation the way there have been in the last five years. And there was also no sort of innovation. There were no new businesses coming in and sort of um, disrupting the space. And so um, really, you know, making a product with a synthetic like rayon or polyester um, or conventional cotton is a lot cheaper. Um, And yet, uh, when you sort of back into um, studies around those uh, ingredients and certainly sort of the way that conventional cotton is made and produced, um, it's it's somewhat troubling sort of what the um, indicators are that exposure to those materials, exposures to the um, chemicals used to produce conventional cotton is potentially harmful to, you know, human health, certainly to environmental health. And so uh, to, to make an organic tampon needs to use 100% certified organic cotton um, and that that is the only thing that you are... Um, using in that product. So um, because that product is being inserted into the body, it's being um, used against extremely porous and sensitive um, type of skin. Um, And therefore, it's quite uh, susceptible to taking in anything that comes up against it. Um, It's really important in our minds and has always been really important that those products be, you know, as pure as possible. And so, you know, that's what it means to be an organic tampon. So it seems to me like when you're looking at a population in a country like Kenya or India that the the women would want a product like this. Is that true? Do they know that they should have it and they just can't afford it or can't get it or is it too expensive or is actually it does it actually get into awareness? You're talking about tampons specifically? Any kind of feminine hygiene product, I guess. Okay, yeah. Yeah, so, um, you know, typically uh, typically there is an awareness. I mean, certainly it has evolved over time. But um, today with, you know, most communities, there is an awareness that, um, that, that things like pads and tampons exist. Where traditionally, you know, maybe... Um, you know, for example, for women in India, the primary um, way of managing menstruation is with a cloth that's washed over and over again. Um, in Kenya, it can be a cloth, but, you know, we've also worked within communities where historically women and girls were using things like ash from their fire pits. 
uh, pieces of old newspaper, pieces of old mattress, cow dung, um, things like that. And so once there is an awareness of, um, of a, of a product that's potentially more hygienic, more sanitary, poses fewer health risks, and, you know, not to mention it's sort of more effective in actually helping us manage their periods, um, you know, there is a desire, there is an awareness. Um, and interestingly, we've even seen that evolving beyond uh, pads and, um, and tampons into things like menstrual cups. Um, which are even sort of on the still, still, uh, very early in their kind of adoption in, um, places like the U.S. So, um, yeah, I would say there's definitely a, a, an awareness and in many cases a desire for, um, sort of these newer and more effective alternatives, but it, you know, it often just comes down to, um, the economic or geographic access. Yeah, and access. I mean, we see that as well. Um, in fact, I think the only addition I would I would make to your point, Molly, is that the emerging markets in general are very attuned to large consumer brands still. So Unilever, Absolutely. Johnson and Johnson, their consumers are often often looking for those products. And yeah, so, very much so. Yeah, deviating can be hard, um, but and that's really what's in their kind of local shops. Can, Molly, tell us. Um, in abstract, what a menstrual cup is for those that don't know and what the benefits so menstrual, are. Yeah, yeah. Menstrual cup um, is essentially just what it sounds like, but it's sort of a, a cup or a chalice-shaped uh, um, silicone um, vessel that is inserted into the vagina, and basically it collects your menstrual blood, and you're able to um, pull it out, dump the blood, and... Um, wash it and reuse it and it's reusable for up to 10 years and so it you know for most women it would completely eliminate the need for single-use tampons pads liners etc thank you it's good to Mm -hmm. define some things as we as we have our conversation so let's talk about the environment i was wondering yeah, I mean, yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's not, <laughs> now you not know something it. you can envision yeah. just from hearing it. Um, yes, yeah. So moving to the environment. Uh, yeah. Most of these products are single use and they yeah. traditionally have contained plastic components. How does Cora think about its environmental footprint? So um, definitely, first and foremost, the two things that you've mentioned. So number one, you know, removing as much plastic as we can from the conventional experience. And so um, we've done that, of course, with our tampons. Um, we've re-engineered our pads, you know, versus kind of what I would say are traditional competitors' pads to um, use a fraction of the amount of uh, material. And so we're sort of... Um, decreasing waste that way. And then I would also say uh, the our decision to utilize organic cotton over conventional cotton, um, you know, of course, the impact is sort of building and building and building as we scale and as we're sort of sourcing more, more cotton for our products. But um, we look at the amount of uh, pesticides and herbicides that we have um, avoided applying to the environment um, as a result of our use of organic cotton. And I would say maybe the last piece um, that I think is most exciting to me personally is 
our sort of efforts as a brand to uh, promote more sustainable options like period underwear, like menstrual cups, and begin to to, um, help women imagine their period, uh, I would say, beyond sort of uh, the disposable options that, you know, most of us have historically used and have probably used since we were, you know, 13, 14, 15 years old, getting our first periods. Um, Really, I think what we're looking at is, you know, 10 years down the line, can the majority of women actually be using these reusable um, and certainly more sustainable options? And can we really um, begin to significantly reduce the number of single-use products that are that are in the market and being being demanded? I think. So, how's the business doing? Is you know, is there a way you can describe to us your growth or just your trajectory? Yeah, sure. Um, so we launched the business in uh, 2016. Um, it was me and uh, my co-founder, and today we're 25 people. We've had um, triple-digit growth every year, um, 200 to 400% each year. Um, and, um, we've raised over $30 million in venture capital. So, you know, hopefully that gives you an idea of kind of where we've been and, and the scale, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly been a really, um, a really wild journey. And even though the growth has been somewhat exponential, I would say the, the journey has definitely been nonlinear. Um, and, uh, you know, we've, we've, I think had to think about and look at the ways that our, you know, business could evolve. We, we launched as a D2C company, a D2C only, uh, company and, uh, but very quickly went into traditional retail and, you know, anyone who's ever sold a physical product kind of knows how operationally complex things suddenly become. Um, and so, you know, we've, you know, I'm happy to say we've, we've grown and, and been able to continue to scale, you know, in spite of a lot of um, those challenges. And I think, you know, there's, there's something that's really exciting now about seeing our, um, our presence expanding at brick and mortar retail, because that's still where the, the vast majority of women want to shop and are looking for these products specifically. And, um, you know, we're, we're, in all of Target stores today and a number of other retailers. But um, in 2020, we'll certainly be seeing Cora sort of in a lot more um, places than ever before. And, I, you know, for me, that comes back to our impact scaling. You know, that that is still sort of my reason for getting out of bed in the morning every day. And um, and so, you know, and, and, and I would say as well, an interesting note on that is that um, social our social impact initiative is the number two value proposition or purchase driver that our customer assigns, second only to the fact that our products are are natural and organic and healthier for her. Um, so there's kind of that like selfish pur- purchase driver, but the second the second one is you know about about the giving and about this other person who's going to benefit. Um, and we were told early on that. Um, by an investor who uh, was one of the first employees at Tom's Shoes and sat on their board for a long time um, through their exit to Bain. And and she said, you know, um, be prepared for your social mission to um, start to matter a lot less to your customers. And we've sort of seen the opposite. 
You talked about the the taboo and the stigma around women's health. Um, And and I know that you have created uh, a community uh, called Blood and Milk, uh, covering a wide range of women's health issues. Um, can you can you tell us more about blood and milk and and how it's trying to combat that 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 stigma? Yeah. So um, I was actually um, I was at the first women's march, so that would have been January 2017. Um, and you know, so Cora was uh, about a year old, and things were really starting to take off, and. I was, you know, driving up 95 after the march, and I was thinking to myself, God, you know, we are literally out here on the street um, protesting for our rights, protesting policy, protesting certain perspectives on women's lives, women's health. And yet, how well do we really know ourselves? How intimate are we with the experience of life in a female body? You know, for most of us, the last time we had any sort of formal education or deep insight, not even deep insight, but formal education on our bodies and their changes um, was, you know, high school. And the primary message there was don't get pregnant and don't get an STD. Um, And yet when you think about the sort of profound changes that a woman will go through physically in her lifetime, um, particularly if she chooses to have children, um, it's immense. And what, you know, what I realized was for most of us, when we, you know, have a health concern or something's happening or we're going through an experience, um, like having a child, you know, and we have questions, there's so many unknowns, so many things that aren't talked about still, you know, our primary resources are, um, going on to Google, uh, phoning a friend or, you know, a sister, um, and, you know, heading to your doctor. And, you know, I found that there was just no singular um, online resource that really focused on that experience of life in a female body and all of these different phases, everything from menstruation to sex and intimacy to perimenopause, uh, birth, post-birth recovery. And I wanted to just create a really um, frank, honest, you know, in some ways, like our content has been called, you know, taboo or sort of provocative and cutting edge, but really it's like just answering questions that, you know, maybe we've been afraid to ask, but that are um, pressing in our minds. And so, you know, because of, um, of Cora, you know, there was a little bit of resource to say, Hey, let's test it out this idea. Let's create a sort of, um, uh, you know, an MVP site. We'll put one headcount against it and a little bit of budget for content and let's just start creating these articles and seeing what the response is. Um, and it's just been overwhelmingly positive. You know, that platform has had um, zero outside investment and um, has continued to grow. And more importantly, I think it has really become um, just a trusted resource that feels very um, candid and approachable and um and real to women as we're going through these very real experiences. And it's just become a really nice complement to, um, I think, Cora's mission around, you know, creating healthier products. Incredible. I'm going to share an anecdote. I have a friend who is lobbying the UK government to have uh, just um, pads in every single bathroom available for free 
And when I told Mm. my husband the first time this concept, he said, that's a bit much. And I looked at him and I said, if you went to the bathroom and you didn't have toilet paper, how would you feel? And he said, oh. And I think the point there is if when you just start reframing or opening up that conversation. How how long was he in the doghouse for? (laughs) Oh, no, it was a matter of, it was a split second. A split second. Uh, But I think when you start opening up the conversation uh, that you're right, you kind of destigmatize some of some of these concerns and questions. Molly, we also want to get to know you a little bit. Can you tell us what your morning routine looks like? How do you get yourself ready to go? (laughs) You know, it's funny. Um, It's different every day. I am so not a routine kind of person. I feel like my mornings are really organic. And I kind of had to learn that the hard way, right? Like I really for a long time thought, you know, person in business, person running a company, you have to, you know, be up at the crack of dawn, do this, do that, exercise, et cetera, et cetera, be at the office by 7.30. And so I did that for a long time and found that I was miserable. Um, some people thrive on that. I like to mix it up. I like to do all of those, you know, morning things, but I sort of like to pepper them out throughout my day. So um, it's interesting. Through the week, I have really started to prioritize sleep. Um, I've read a fascinating book that sort of scared the daylights out of me uh, about not getting enough sleep. So that's become a real priority. So um, I've really been uh, making sure I get eight hours of sleep. So I wake up. Um, Usually I try to meditate. Sometimes it's five minutes. Sometimes it's 30 minutes. Um, I do a little bit of breath work as part of that. I'm a breath work facilitator and I find that really kind of centers and grounds me. Uh, normally coffee has been the only consistent, consistent element of my morning routine. Um, but in an effort to try to decrease my, uh, caffeine consumption, I've been, um, switching to a sort of mushroom coffee substitute. Traitor. Yes, I know. I know. (laughs) To be fair, I still have like a very small latte. Um, I can't, I love coffee. Like, come on. I don't think I can ever give it up completely, but, um, but yeah, you know, I take the dog out, I hop in the car and, uh, and I head to the city. I live up in the mountains above San Francisco. And so, you know, on the rare morning that I really feel like I can, uh, stretch things out, I'll go for a hike with my dog. But, um, but yeah, I kind of do my thing quickly in the morning and, and hit the road. Well, us caffeine drinkers of the world want you back. You're always, <laughs> you're always yes. welcome. The both of us. We're yeah. very inclusive. I, you know, that really is softening as well. Yeah, yeah. What is, well, I was going to say, what is your leadership style? So, you know, you've you've got this company, you just had this idea. Um, I don't know if you thought you would turn into this big growing concern. So, like, how do you, how do you approach your, your self as a leader and your, your team? How would you describe your, your, your style? Yeah, gosh. Talk about another journey. Um, you know, maybe obviously I'm, you know, a very independent and entrepreneurial uh, person. And so, you know, my working style is very much decide what you want to do and then just go do it. Um, and I've tended to, uh, especially early on, I would say kind of assume that everybody wants to and can operate that way. And so, 
you know, I would say that my leadership style has evolved. In the early days, I was very sort of um, hands off. I looked for people who shared that sort of fiercely independent style. Um, and those are the people that I sort of brought onto the team or prioritized bringing onto the team. But um, I would say it's, it's really evolved where I feel like um, I've had to kind of, you know, make my own way. And I've certainly made it up as I've gone in a lot of ways. But, uh, you know, I think where, um, you know, my team would say I sit now is in a place of trying to really provide as much um, inspiration to the team as possible. I, you know, I touch a lot of the social impact work on the day-to-day more than the rest of the team. And so I think I tend to kind of come in with the big picture, the big vision, making sure everybody's excited and on board and sort of rooted in the, in the meaning. And then I've, you know, I've kind of evolved to feel like as a leader, my job is just to remove obstacles. And so I try to allow, you know, my team members to really have a ton of autonomy and say, you know, in what they're going to be doing in order to, you know, fulfill the larger vision we've all agreed upon. And then, um, and then really, you know, be the advocate and be the person who um, provides resources or, you know, removes blockages to, you know, to their success. You know, caffeine removes obstacles too. Yeah. Just <laughs> saying. Don't tempt me, Ed. <laughs> I'm teetering on the edge. <laughs> I noticed on your Instagram and and, and, and your website that you have pro- more products than you would expect from a women's health company. So, you know, mm. more than just pads and tampons, you have PMS products and different wipes and things like that um, related to heat and even probably uh, menopause. Um I would love to for you to just tell us where the company's going uh, and you know where we should envision Cora in five years. Yeah. So when we started, you know, four or five years ago, we launched with period care because, you know, certainly because of the experience I had had in in Kenya and how much that caused me to reflect on the experience of women here in the U.S. and all the ways that that could be changed and you know the stigma and taboo is no small part of that I wanted to create a brand that um that really reflected that experience in a positive light rather than the the sort of neutral to negative one that I think it has historically been in um but you know really from from that place of period care we've really just taken the approach of you know what's the next need that we can address or solve for her what's the next pain point that that exists in her experience of life in a female body that we can address. And so, you know, certainly that means offering a wider range of products within a particular category like period care. Um, But then, you know, it looks at, okay, but what are, you know, what's the surrounding experience, you know, whether you're talking about period symptoms or PMS, like, is there something we can create that would make her life better um, in that regard and do it in a way that's, uh, healthier and more sustainable. And then going beyond that one experience, um, what's the next thing she's going to experience, whether it's pregnancy or postpartum recovery, uh, body care, uh, you know, and, and, you know, the list goes on and on and on. And, you know, I think what we've realized is, 
you know, gosh, it's not, there's not this sort of boundary line around where we started uh, in period care that, that sort of contains us. There's a need to disrupt the entire sort of women's wellness category. And when I say disrupt, I, I, you know, I mean that in terms of infusing the, you know, the sort of modern values that, that we hold and that our customers and community embody and that they want to see in the products that, that they're purchasing at these moments in time in their lives. And so, you know, I think in, in five years and 10 years, you know, I see Cora really embodying a full uh, spectrum of, of women's wellness, uh, you know, in every direction of, of her life. And hopefully, again, offering um, the new alternative, hopefully it won't feel like an alternative at that point, but offering the sort of new standard in women's wellness that, that is healthier, better for her body, you know, and better for the world. That's really exciting. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an amazing conversation. Yes, I enjoyed it very much. Thanks, Molly. Take care. Bye. 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 Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. Thank you.